Well, I'll start with with this one. The the thing that I learned very, very quickly um, when I started to be involved in the transportation business was you either had to be all in or all out. You could not have one toe in, hey, I'm kind of into trucking and one toe out. I mean, there is so much to learn and it is so complex in what they do that you literally, it has to consume you and it has to be a part of you. Welcome to another edition of Trucking with Pro Miles, featuring this cool cat right here, Tony Stroncheck. Tony, what's going on up in the mountains? <laughs> snow, man, snow. Uh, it's good. We need it. We need the water. Everybody up here in the mountains, and even by everybody down south, they got to have all this snow we've got. But man, it just hadn't stopped. That and dude, I had COVID during Thanksgiving. Christmas came around, and I decided to take some time off with the kids, and you know, just get yeah. away from the office there for a week, and. Next, you know, we end up catching the flu. So the entire household had COVID Thanksgiving, the flu at Christmas. And by the time New Year's came, we didn't have a chance just to be sick. The snow came. And man, we've got (laughs) feet of snow up here. I haven't in 17 years living in Colorado. I really don't think I've seen this much snow come and then accumulate and stay for this kind of time frame. It's just it's, it's crazy. It really is. And now I hear rumors. The entire mountain now knows that Tony Strongcheck has all this wonderful new snowplow gear and all, and you've become everybody's favorite in the community. Oh, I just love, I love doing it. I love getting in that F-350 You're with a big guy. plow in the front, and I just like moving the snow. It's it's kind of like cutting grass. You know, if any of you folks out there love a little, going out there right? and, huh? A little therapeutic, right? It, it is. It's it's something to go out there and take something that kind of looks all rough, kind of like me. Look at me right now after I've shaved and all that. I look pretty good, you know? But before yeah. I shave and everything just kind of hanging, and all this is rough down here, it's kind of like a yard, you know? You want to cut the grass. You want to weed eat. You want to trim the stuff up. You just want it to look nice. Well, snow, same thing. Snow's all over the place. You know, you start driving yeah. through it. It starts turning nice. But if you can sit there and you can plow it as far out as you can to give them plenty of room all the way down so you can start seeing the top of the, you know, the road base or on top of the asphalt or anything that you've got, it's actually pretty cool to say, I took two hours and look what I've done in these two miles. Look at the look at what it looks like. And then the other thing that's really cool is watching the people drive up and down, blowing the horn or Shauna stopped by last night, buddy, and knocked on my door. My dog's going crazy. And I go open the door and she's standing there. Tony, thank you so much. She hands me a hundred dollar bill. Now I've convinced her up till now, not that I'm going to take your money. It's all right. But she, she made me, she said, Tony, go get you some gas, put gas in that, that truck. But just thank you. Cause we would have not be able to get out of here with her mom or husband to get to work unless I would have plowed like I did. So I love That's it. Cool. Uh, I haven't been plowing my whole life. So this little bit of plowing here and there now is ain't no big deal. You know, a lot of people have been up here like our guy, Dave, that we're going to talk to here shortly being in Salt Lake. You know, um, you know, he's done it his whole life with us. And I, you know, it's kind of fun. It's It does get cold and it kind of gets a pain in the butt on the deck whenever you have to keep getting everything off. But you, you get your good snowblower. Uh, gas powered. You can plug them in, click a button to start it, you know? Uh, and if you've got kids, my bad is my kids are all grown up and they don't live here. And my neighbor, Tori, you know, which my son, he, uh, 
he didn't come over to help, you know, do much of this until I got to the back and couldn't open up the gate because we're almost out of propane. Okay. And if that happens up here, this you ain't got no heat. Well, the, the truck got to haul the propane up here. It's got to be able to get up to my road. So even this morning I had to get up and plow again, uh, plowing. It's, it's, it's good. It's, it's nice getting out there and sliding back and forth and, you know, like I said, creating something, creating a masterpiece is the way I like to put it. Plus, I got seat heaters in the truck. I hook up my radio, turn up we'll Taylor see. Swift, buddy, and I can rock and roll all day seat long. Seat heaters. Seat heaters. Give me a break. So, you know, if this little side business of yours, Tony, keeps growing and you've got this massive new snowplow business growing and emerging, you're, you're going to be looking for a software company probably. You need some software, some fuel tax, some routing, right? Oh, definitely, definitely. You, you know, you know they, now I tell you what, buddy. I knew this one guy. He's a little crazy. You know him and his partner. Oh, the wheels are know. turning. Here comes you another new wait. business. But I tell you what, <laughs> honestly, if I had the chance and had the time, and I've done it a few times, even at Megan's house, I'll go down there and I'll try to plow a driveway with my big truck and everything to make it a little easier. But the whole neighborhood needs plowing. Man, I would honestly enjoy plowing for the city. I would. I would love to to get up at four o'clock in the morning, you know, get me a cup of coffee, get out there. I mean, I'm in my own world. I'm thinking about everything that's going to go on for the day. And it gives me a way to kind of wake up. And like I said, when you see, you know, see the lady up the road coming down in her car and she blows that horn saying, thank you so much. Thank you so much. It just it fills your heart with with love. And I'm a karma guy. Like I, I told you. I know you are, and that's one of the things everybody loves about you, but I'm going to speak for, I think, all 140 Pro Miles employees when I say, I'm sure that new business would go like gangbusters, like everything you touch turns to gold, but on behalf of all of your employees, no, no more. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we don't need no more businesses. No more new businesses. No, I don't need new business. What I need, I want to just do what I've done for 30 years. I want to focus on Pro Miles. I want to grow it. I want to make it a better place. And I mean, you talk plowing. I mean, when we got the state of Colorado contract to do all the oversized overweight routing for him, we've had a lot of conversations, things with him. And that's when I first met Danny because he called me. He says, hey, look, I'm looking for software that's going to help us know when to plow, when not to plow. You know, can you guys help us do that kind of stuff? And that's where, you know, Danny Wells is where I first met him was over that phone call about that. And it's, it's dangerous up here. Trucking, you know, you know, it's, it's bad enough to be in Southeast Texas in the middle of a rainstorm or a thunderstorm or a tropical storm or even a hurricane in these trucks and how dangerous it is. But I'm telling you, the thing that scares me more than ever is driving to Denver and back this time of the year. That overpass uh, is dangerous, and when you come out of that, you come out of them tunnels, buddy, and you start going down the pass, it's kind of like next thing you know, you're doing 100 miles an hour. And then in this kind of weather, all it takes is one person, not a truck, could be a car, just one person hit that brake one too many times and start spinning around. I've seen pileups of hundreds of cars and trucks at one time. I, it, it scares me. And no matter how well I think I can drive, no matter how great my truck is, it may have studded tires and, and I've went way beyond. It's those poor family that just flew into Denver, decided to go up into the mountains and rent a car. Well, they rented a car in Denver that's meant to stay in Denver, not even a four wheel drive. Those are the ones that really scare me because you're on vacation with your kids. You're coming through that tunnel. You're coming out for the first time. It looks so beautiful. Then you're going straight down and uh, and then you lose your life. Why? 
Yeah, because people are people don't know. People don't know how to do that. Yeah, I don't know if it's social media or what, but it seems like we're seeing more and more of those horrific pileups. Um one vehicles and trucks and such, particularly in the south where they don't deal with a lot of snow or ice. But hey, we have a great conversation today with, in my opinion, one of the legends in the truck insurance world, Dave Whitwer. I've known him from years from SCNRA days. Um, just the greatest guy, expert on so many things. And before we get to Dave, and he, he by the way, has a great talent in the specialized transportation world, which is right up Pro Miles Alley, and we'll talk to him about that. But before we get to that, if you don't mind me asking, Tony, um, <clears throat> I, was, I was saddened this morning because I went through it, and I know a lot of other people uh, go through it from time to time in their lives, and that is... Y'all lost a member of your family over the weekend. Um, your 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 beloved pet Murphy, and uh, it's traumatic, isn't it? You, you just can't prepare for it. Well, how's everybody doing? I'll, I'll tell you, Stephen. When I moved to Colorado, I didn't have any dogs. Southeast Texas, the one dog I had, and he ended up dying of heartworms, and uh, and I couldn't do it. Uh, and you can't bring your dog in the house, big dog, and they smell, they stink. But when I moved to Colorado, the one thing they told us up here was, you got to have pets. You got to. So on the way to Colorado in that trailer, I decided my kids had a buddy that had dogs. And uh, anyway, just had some pups. They were about four weeks old. And stupid me, I'm taking my kids. I'm going to take them for three months to Colorado in a fifth-wheel trailer behind an F-350. And I decided to bring some dogs with us, brand new puppies. Now, my kids didn't understand about the feeding, not feeding and all that. And they had a, you know, them dogs pooped everywhere and had the biggest mess. And I was so mm. aggravated about these dogs. But but you still fall in love with them, don't, dude, don't we? Not only did I fall in love, we've had up to 15 dogs at a time. I love mm. dogs so much. Uh, in my bed, I hate to say uh, but there's times there's four or five dogs in my bed with us laying up, watching TV. Uh, once all the, you know, kids moved out and all that, you know, we had a few less, but we still had a lot of dogs and, uh, Murphy was, uh, special. He, uh, my, my wife, uh, really fell in love with this dog. And when I say in love, I was jealous. I'm not kidding you for the first two years. <laughs> I wasn't her I picture on her phone, you know. I wasn't her man. <laughs> I wasn't her love of her life. I'm watching oh, and sure listening to this. Oh, he was telling this dog, and honestly, that's what hurts. He, uh, He's part of the family. He was, you know, the number two pack leader for this whole mess we've had for the last 15 to 17 years. And, uh, you know, the other dogs that we've lost this last year, because we've lost four of them, and – uh yeah. 17, 16, and 15, you know, but you think that's a long time. You've had such a long life with them. Not with Murphy. We only had him 10 years. And for the last eight months, uh, he, uh, he had this problem where he, uh, started just coughing and, and, uh, had all this discharge from his nose and like he had a cold, took him to the vet and they tested him and tested him, did everything. They couldn't figure it out. So gave him medicine, mm -hmm. medicine that kind of helped him a little bit. But in that, he had this bump on his tongue. And it kind of looked like he bit a bone or something, maybe had a stick of a bone in it. 
So we asked the docs, look, once you have them out, go ahead and look at that for us if you would. And they uh, sent it off and uh, called us a week later and told us it was cancer. Last thing you want to hear, you know. And uh, so we took him in and had him remove that bump off his tongue. And uh, But his nasal things just wouldn't go away. And uh, for the last probably eight months, we've had him in to every specialist we could see. I've been to Boulder three times to a place called Case up there, which is just amazing, the emergency place. And uh, they're the only one around here that actually could uh, do a CAT scan because I live up here by Aspen and stuff. And, and normally that's what you have to do. You got to go get a hospital to allow you to bring your dog into their area and actually do a CAT scan like they're doing on a human. And But we went to mm-hmm. Case, had that done. And I mean, patient waiting, waiting and guess what? Nothing. Nothing's there. He's perfectly fine. And, you know, every time we go back, he's perfectly fine. And uh, then uh, we uh, yesterday went to feed him. And uh, he's the first to the bowl, man. He's the first out there and he's vocal. He's, mm-hmm. he's like his mama, Princess. You know, he just uh, he barks and barks and he talks to you. And he, he's trying to tell you to hurry up. I'm hungry. I'm hungry. But this night he didn't. He just kind of looked at me. He laid down. Like, what's wrong, boy? Are you not feeling good? And uh, brought him into the room and Lydia, something's wrong with our pup. And uh, it just wasn't being him, you know? Well, we decided to go ahead and feed him and, and do everything. And uh, she said, baby, we got to get him to the vet or something. I said, baby, it's, you know, it's Saturday night. The vet's not open. We have to go to Grand Junction or to Basal. We got to go an hour's whole way just to get him to a vet. But what's wrong with him? And she said, baby, I, I'm telling you, something doesn't feel right. Well, we decided we're going to go ahead and throw him in the truck. And uh, we got him in the truck. And I called my kids. So, yeah. Come keep mom on. Uh, so she ain't by herself. Tanner, she's 10. Mm-hmm. So somebody got to be here with him. And uh, my daughter says, I- I'm on my way. I'll-, I'll be up there in a few minutes. And I said, well, we got to go. Let's just get out of here because it's about an hour drive. And I said, he just ain't breathing right. We didn't even make it a tenth of a mile down the road. And mm. he took his last breath. Almost couldn't do this thing today, Stephen, because it's yeah. just hard. You You know, and there's a lot of truckers out there, Stephen, that, I'm positive. They got dogs, you know, and, oh, and they yeah. love them to death. And, and as I'm crazy, I 15 dogs live in the house more than they live outside. And I got an acre land with a six foot fence behind me. that's acred out just for them dogs. And, you know, I love them dogs. I love them as if they're my own kids. And then watching my wife fall apart like she is, I don't, I don't know if she'll ever recover. I don't know if she can get over this. And uh, how do you grieve? How do you grieve the loss of uh, a loved one, a pet? Time, time. And yeah. then you got to yeah. step back and go, wait a minute. I still got two other dogs who are sleeping with me tonight. And uh, we got to take yeah. care of them, you know. And we got Momo's dog. We got Tanner's dog. So we, you know, we still got four. <laughs> we had 15, you know. Things are easier and maybe you can go out and you don't have to worry about who's going to keep what. But. I will never, ever in my life, ever, not know how it is to love an animal that much. Yeah, and they—they're yeah. so smart. They—they they know when you're upset. Flower knows. She—that's uh, my dog, and she just she licks you and licks you and licks you and licks you, and you you get so aggravated, like quit, 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 quit. But they feel you. They can feel it in their heart that something's not right with their person. And uh, so for everybody that you know, never had a dog and 
you know, just want that special dog, you better go do it. Go, go to a shelter, go find a dog that really needs mm. love. And when you do, <laughs> just get them fixed. Because if not, you'll keep having puppies and you'll end up with 15 of them because you <laughs> fall in love with every one of them damn things and you don't want to let them go. Yeah. But uh, you got to get them spayed and neutered. You do. My, uh, my favorite dog, my, my favorite dog, Tony, as a child, <clears throat> you talked about they know your emotions and your thoughts. This dog I grew up with and went through all my crying episodes and getting hurt or getting my feelings hurt. And this, this little dog would climb up in my bed and it knew. It knew when I was sad, and it, it provided such such great comfort to me. Look it up, Stephen. I guarantee I, you, if you look it up, the 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 statistics and everything say that you will live longer if you sleep with a dog. Now, ah, I, I love that. my wife. I love her to death. But I tell you, <laughs> them hot flash, everything else that woman goes through sometimes, you know, I just need something to snuggle sometimes. She's got the house, you know, freezing, window open, you know, it's 20 degrees outside and she's having a hot flash. Well, me and Flower, my pup, well, we snuggle. I mean, she'll lay her head on my shoulder. She'll she'll do all kinds of things just to just to make me, you know, know that she's there. Yeah, just to close out, Megan and I were talking this morning about this, and we thought how unfair it is that there are some animals that live for years and years and years, like horses and things, but these puppy dogs that we just love so much and become part of the family, uh, we just don't get enough time with them. We don't, Stephen. Five, 10, 15 years. And even at that, they told, you know, a lot of dogs really shouldn't live past 10 or 11, and and it's sad because... They love you so much, and and they're dependent on you so much. They, when you walk in that door, you know your kids. They used to scream, "Daddy's home, Daddy's home." And then they get to a point of age where it's like, "Where's the kids? Oh, they're out with their friends. They're off here. They're off doing there." But that dog, every day, will be at that window. They know. They know times. They know that this happens every day of the week. So at this time, this is what's going to happen. Food. Oh my God. 415, man. 415, they start howling. What do you want? They won't fed. They just want to eat, you know, and that's their way to tell you. And to watch them sing when they howl. Just the yeah. just the love that comes out of the dogs and 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 that. And and you know what, Steven? I, I I'll I'll do it again and I'll do it again and I'll do it again. And I know it hurts and I know it it's a loss, but it's those years, it's all that time, it's all the those days that you said, Hey, I can make you sit before you eat, you know, wait, wait, not eat, you know, to be able to help them understand and learn. They teach you a lot. And I guarantee you, Stephen, running this company and doing things I do, if it wasn't for these dogs last 17 years, I couldn't have done it. I couldn't have, they, they, they wake me up. They make me happy. They just, they, they break the ice. Uh, they definitely get your neighbors upset when they bark, bark a lot. Uh, <laughs> but they're, they're, they're the love of our life. And I mean, to me, they're, they're like our grandbabies, you know, really. And our kids and, um, I will, I will never forget Murphy. He was one of the best dogs in the world, buddy. best dogs, but Hey, let's talk about Mr. Dave coming, man. I, I, I just, yeah. let's, I know I, and, and we will. And I know a lot of listeners out there, uh, sharing your grief and have been through it and everybody grieves in their own way, Tony, but tell Lydia if, and when she feels comfortable to, Share with us from through social media some pictures and some of the good memories, and we'll interact with her and help her help her in her in, in her grieving, whatever she well, needs. 
I would definitely do that. And thank you. you. And like I said, this is the fourth one this year. <clears throat> and so, or over the last 12 months and it's not easy, but yeah. love those pets, man. Just love those pets. They're, they're, they're the world. And, uh, they are just sitting back waiting patiently to love somebody. So go get somebody, go get you a dog from the pound, you know, get, get one from a shelter, get one from a hurricane area and things like that. Because I'll tell you what, when those dogs truly imprint on you, uh, and they will, they'll find their person just like Murphy found Lydia and flower found me, uh, take that, take it to heart. And, uh, and, uh, don't get mad at them every time they bark and every time they want your attention, mm. because in reality, you're hundred percent of their life. They, that's all they worry about every day is to satisfy you and make you happy. That's all they want to do. It's the most incredible, unconditional love that somebody mm-hmm. could ever experience that with a pet, particularly, particularly a dog. You betcha. Well, yeah, let's, um, let's get to Dave Whitwer, one of the most profound, intelligent men and kindest men I know. Uh, in the trucking industry, particularly from the insurance side. What's ProMiles' interaction, if if any, over the years with um, the world of insurance and trucking, Tony? Oh, man, we've uh, we've dealt with insurance for 32 years. I mean, it's everybody that drives a truck that's commercial has to go out and get all this insurance. And insurance is not easy to get. It's not easy to, to retain. And and one little hiccup could, uh, could cost you your whole business. And being that most, most of the fleets out there have less than five or six trucks and you know, there's a lot of owner operators. I mean, you just can't, you know, you, it's one thing having a hundred trucks and one truck has an accident, but if you've only got one to five trucks and one has an accident, you may have to start a new company. You may have to file bankruptcy. You may have to start completely over and you may lose everything. You've all the money and everything you put in, put into that trucking company and all that money put in that truck may be useless if one little bad hiccup happens. Oh, yes. So let's have a listen. Brown and Brown, one of the nation's largest insurance brokerage firms, trucking and otherwise, the incomparable Dave Whitwer. Hey, Dave. And there he is from one of my favorite cities in the United States, Salt Lake City. Thank you, Dave, for joining us. Thank you. Glad to be here. One of my most favorite cities, as I said, Dave, it's clean, it's beautiful, you can ski and play golf all on the same day. What a city, huh? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Come on out. I'd love to have you. You know, you've already entertained me a couple of times on the golf course, although my boss is on the call, so we better yeah, that's hold right. on. And there's more of that. <laughs> on that conversation. <laughs> hey, Dave, before we, we've got a lot, lot to talk to you about uh, on the uh, trucking side of things. and you know, technology and rates and all of those wonderful topics. But before we do that, just wanted to ask you, and I know this conversation always gets uncomfortable for you, if not irritating, but I got to take advantage of this with you and Tony Strongcheck on the, on the call, both, you both have this incredible set of personal characteristics. And I, I've never really asked you, Dave, if you're born with them or if it's something I can still learn at my old age, because I'm not very good at any of these. <laughs> And that is, uh, I, I'll defer to Tony on that question. <laughs> no, you're being humble as always. Incredible mm. listening skills and even more incredible ability to, and you know, I did this with you for several years at SCNRA. Dave was my guy, Tony, where we'd cover a meeting 
and I'm fumbling around with my notes. And then I'd turn to Dave and say, Dave, could you summarize <laughs> that hour long meeting? And he always did it so succinctly. He's got like a, a, a steel trap. And to boot, Dave, just to make you real embarrassed here, you're one of the kindest, most polite, most respectful people uh, in this industry as well. Oh, so, thank you. so give me the good news. You're very nice. Thank you. Can those traits be acquired or are you just born with it? I, I think it's just uh, probably, probably a little bit of both, little skills learned over time and may, maybe some genetics. But all kidding aside, this sponge factor that, like I said, the two of you have it, but most of us mere mortals do not. This ability to listen to an hour's worth of your employees or comrades' calls, and then an hour later or even six months later, be able to regurgitate it. How the hell do you do that? We're not as old as you, Steve. We're just not that old. <laughs> just taking good notes. Yeah. Tony, I know you're humble too, but what is it about those set of characteristics? Maybe that's why you two are leaders. No, all I can tell you, uh, Stephen, is I believe in karma is a big thing. Just be nice to folks, help folks every day you can, you know, and it'll come back to help you. It really will. So just be a good person. That's all you have to do. Megan and I were talking earlier, and she and I have to take notes on things and and refer to those later. But uh, you two are, <clears throat> are blessed without being able to have to do that, I suppose. But anyway, welcome, Dave, uh, from Salt Lake. Uh, appreciate Thank having you. you. Um, several, uh, general trucking topics, uh, we'll kind of hit kind of like speed version here first. Uh, and then, okay. and then we'll get into a little bit more of specialized transportation, but, um, let's start with, uh, Brown and Brown. Um, I had heard of Brown and Brown in, in various circles, but, um, I guess I was shocked, maybe not shocked to see your, your what, one of the three or four largest independent brokerages in the country. Correct. Yeah, that's correct. It it uh, that's based on revenue size typically, and Business Insurance Magazine uh, posts uh, uh, does a, a a survey, I guess, once a year, and and based on revenue size, gross revenues, they rank the top one hundred firms, and Brown and Brown is basically in the top five. That moves around a little bit based on um, acquisition activity and different things like that. Uh, but we are certainly one of the uh, top five. And uh, this year, we'll probably be very close to uh, $3.5 billion to $4 billion in revenue, mm. uh, waiting to see the 2022 results uh, when, the, when uh, earnings are announced later this month. So we're certainly in the mid-threes, uh, you know, between 3 and $4 billion, uh, in total revenue. So we're certainly one of the largest. And how that big makes sense, Stephen. Look how, if you look how big his office is, <laughs> I mean, I understand now. I mean, I mean, we, we, our offices will fit in his corner. And, uh, so he, he must be doing very well. Before you get too carried away, I'm using, I'm using a conference room that we have to do, uh, this recording. So it's not quite my office, but it's got a bunch of stuff in it, but it was just easier to be in here. So. I wonder, Tony, if those ball bats back there are when Dave and I's mutual good friend Gary Buchanan calls in with a claim. That's right. With a claim. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, my, my office is typically the cab of my truck, so that tells you how big my office is. So. There you go. So what role does trucking play in, in Brown & Brown overall portfolio? Well, you know, overall we have um, uh, quite a bit of transportation, transfer, transportation-related uh uh, businesses in terms of uh, 
uh, the overall transportation industry. And we're given the latitude, quite candidly, of being able to focus where we choose to focus. So luckily for me, that's in transportation and specifically uh, heavy haul and crane and rigging, as well as as over the road uh, trucking. So it, it works out quite well, um, but it's certainly a you know one of more more viable within our uh, the PNC part of Brown and Brown uh, transportation is certainly one of our uh, preeminent areas of focus. One of the questions I like to ask companies like you that are so diverse, <clears throat> what, what, what traits do you find in the trucking industry that perhaps is at or above the level of other industries that you represent? And what one trait do you feel trucking industry could learn from some of the other markets that Brown and Brown services? Well, I'll start with, with this one. The, the thing that I learned very, very quickly um, when, when, uh, when I started to be involved in the transportation business was you either had to be all in or all out. You could not, you could not have one toe in, hey, I'm kind of into trucking and one toe out. I mean, there is so much to learn and it is so complex in what they do that you you literally it has to consume you and it has to be a part of you. So that I think is number one. As far as the industry goes, the thing that impressed me, you know, 30 plus years ago that continues to impress me today is the work ethic of of the industry, of the transportation industry. I think there's been no uh, stronger indicator of that than during the pandemic when when they literally kept this country moving forward and kept us alive by still getting groceries into the stores and getting fuel to gas stations and getting us heating oil and, and all the things that, you know, power, and, you know, mm-hmm. all the things that had to be done to keep, you know, it was great that we all went remote and we're all working from home, but it's not so great when you can't get power or heat or electricity or food or those kinds of things. So I was very, very honored to be a part a very small part of the transportation industry during the pandemic. And I think that underscored the incredible work ethic of, of the uh, uh, transportation industry. Tony, you've probably seen, I know you've seen instances over the years with all of your customers with regards to maybe a few of them, not necessarily being all in, right? Oh yeah. Some of them shouldn't have been in to begin with. Uh, and what's sad is it's those few like that that make all the rest look bad. But there's some amazing folks out there. And, and you know what? They're, they care about safety. They don't, they don't want an insurance, you know, issue. Um, they can't afford it. And insurance is, you know, one minute you, can, you, you think you got a handle on it, the next minute it goes up on you. And, you know, depending on where you travel. I mean, just so many factors. Dave, I mean, can you do me a favor? You live in Salt Lake. We're not too far from you. What do you like about Salt Lake? What do I like about Salt Lake? Yeah. Uh, well, thank you for asking. Um, I, I love the outdoors activities. The the beauty of of Utah um, and is is I love being outside. Um, and I you know almost no matter the activity, and you know you I I so I would say the the number one thing that I love about being here is uh, just the opportunities to for outdoor recreation, whether it's skiing or hiking or boating or golf or 
you know, uh, horseback riding or what, you know, just, you know, mo- motorcycle riding, I mean, whatever, whatever your thing is that you love to do outside, th- this is a great place to do it. So that, that would probably be number one. Uh, number two, um, it's a cost of living uh, situation, meaning generally speaking, the cost of living is pretty favorable. Um, we don't have a high income state tax, particularly compared mm-hmm. to some of the states around us. Um, the you know cost of goods stayed fairly static, although during the last two years with the inflation rise mm-hmm. that we've seen nationally, we've certainly seen that impact here. Um, housing prices have started have, have and, and rents have really gotten out of control. So that's a negative right now. Uh, but but those would probably be my first two is your cost of living and and uh, and the outdoor recreational opportunities. Yeah, I think it's just so beautiful up here. I mean, we when I lived in southeast Texas, all I saw was trees. Uh, yeah, exactly. Once I moved here, you move the trees out of the way for a minute and uh, it's so beautiful. We've got, you know, it's right interesting. Here. I. I walked out of my house this morning. I, I when I'm home, I mm-hmm. we walk every morning, and I walked out and I stood in my driveway, and there's a mountain. It's referred to as Mount Olympus, and and uh, it's just it's stunningly beautiful. And I thought it's kind of crazy that I can stand in my driveway and literally see, you know, I'm at the base of this massive, you know, six thousand foot mountain. I mean, it's just crazy. It is. Have you ever climbed it? Oh yeah, yeah. Have you ever done it's, any of the fourteeners? Uh, some of them. Yeah. I, I've, I've done, do you know, grander peak? Mm-hmm. I've done that one. Cool. Yeah. yeah I so haven't, done a few of them. I haven't done any of them. My wife yeah, won't allow me. Yeah. She's scared. Yeah, I'm going to fall off the side of it and, you know, fall down. You nah, know. you can't fall off. You have to <laughs> push, jump off to have an issue. Well, I might try that too. Give me a wingsuit or something and we'll see yeah, how fast I can go. That's but cool. That's cool. Well, what do you, I mean, how long you've lived in Salt Lake? I was born and raised here. Really? Yep. So the snow to you is just, it's, it's just always been. It, it, exactly. Yeah. And in fact, this is the year that we're getting, I, I would tell you that this is probably the very best snow that we've had in a decade. It is the most um, that I've seen here in 17 years. I've been here. Well, not, not only the most, but the quality of it. Mm-hmm. And, and it's just a, it's perfect for skiing this year. And it's actually pretty, uh, got a lot of water content, which has been really nice. Cause we're, as you know, yeah, we, we need, need that desperately. So yeah. it's, it's been a real blessing this year. Do you ever go out on Lake Powell? I have. Yeah. I haven't for years, but there was a time in my life when I was at Lake Powell constantly. Well, Spent most of my youth at Lake Powell. We're not too far from it. And a couple of years ago, I bought four jet skis and I got a Triton oh, wow. boat. And so we go out here to Rifle Gap and we go play in it. Uh, the lake in front oh, of me, they awesome. don't they don't allow the uh, jet boats or nothing like that in it. Just paddle boards, things yeah. like that. It's more for families. But the other yeah, one, it's, it's right. a lot of fun. But I haven't got yeah, to get out there yet. Cause, oh, it needs to. That's the problem. And so I was going to go last year and they said there's no water. I went, do what? There's always yeah. been water in that. I, I've never yeah, heard of this. Problem. It is. How, how bad is it there on the water? I mean, are y'all... Are y'all keeping your numbers up or are you guys no, uh, very No, low? we're definitely in a, in a major drought. I mean, these storms have helped ease some of that. Um, I mean, candidly, that probably the best way to measure the drought impact is what's happening with the Great Salt Lake mm-hmm. and the fact that it's so low. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean the lowest it's ever been in history. Um, and um, that that's a huge problem from a variety of, of uh, 
perspectives, be it, you know, obviously weather and water, but also from economics and things like that. I mean, there's there's industries that pull about a billion dollars a year out of economic benefit out of the Great Salt Lake. It's the reason we have great snow, um, you know, all those kinds of things. And then obviously, you know, we need water in our rivers and mountains and and all that kind of stuff. I mean, we're you know, we get our water from the mountains. So if there's no mm-hmm. water in the mountains, we're not we're not drinking. Yeah, that's why I've enjoyed all the snow. I mean, my mother-in-law screams about it every day. Oh, no more snow. You're going to have to go plow again. Yes, ma'am. And I have nowhere to put the snow anymore. I mean, I plowed so yeah. much that I've got four and five foot bankments just everywhere. I know, it's crazy. And my tractors. Especially the, where you're at. Yeah, we, we, we're we about 6,700 feet up is, is our house. And yes. um, I was in town in Glenwood you know, the beginning of the week. And I'll tell you what, buddy, I went, uh, I went out there and it was pouring down raining and I'm thinking it's 33 degrees and it's raining. Uh, but as yeah. soon as I left there, started heading up the matter, it, man, it turned into snowflakes big as quarter and I it know, came so down. I mean, I love it. I, I've got an F three fifty with a, uh, eight foot snow dog plow on it with two wings that make it right at 10 foot. And so oh, I, that's huge. Oh, it, it was my my uh, twenty five hundred uh, Chevy I had with a four fifty four in it. I burned it up. It just couldn't oh push gosh. that much snow. And so when it came time to get another truck, I told my wife, I said, "I'll take my two thousand seventeen truck." I said, "It's only got one hundred thirty thousand miles on it. It lasts forever being a plow truck." I said, "I just need to get a new truck though to haul the water." And so I got that situated, and I've had nothing but a blast. I mean, just the sliding back and forth and impact. And I've got a few neighbors that are single that. You know, I don't have a husband and then, you know, I got kids and, you know, so I like getting out there, but my gosh, I have, I bet you I plowed 25 or 30 times over the last two weeks. It's just like, I never get to have this much fun. Mm -hmm. I really don't. Well, people don't realize when it snows, it's actually warm. Mm -hmm. It is. It warms up when it snows. They think snow and cold and it actually has to be above freezing to get a good snow actually. Yeah, and it it, it don't it, it'd be forty five degrees here, and it'll start snowing. But I'll tell you, oh, as absolutely. soon as it's finished snowing, and then that that clear comes out that night, that's that. when our numbers just dive. And yeah. uh, how bad was your place during that big cold front that came from Russia that froze everybody with big negative degrees? Did you get much of it over there? <laughs> it was chilly here. I was actually during California that week, uh-huh. uh, for, uh, and and so. Uh, for some meetings. And so I missed most of it, but yeah, I got a little chilly here. Certainly got below freezing, not zero, but below freezing. Well, it was funny. I'm up here in the mountains. Okay. It didn't feel that bad at all. It got into the teens. Maybe that's about yeah. it. Our wind chill, you know, negative three, negative four, but Denver, they're a lot lower than we are, but it just barely missed us. The mountains. That's what's kind of cool about being up here. They call it a banana belt. They tell us that, you know, a lot of the weather goes around us and everything. But uh-huh. this year I have seen lots of snow and I've enjoyed every minute of it. The That's sad great. part is, is being sick through most of it. And my 10 year old niece not being able to get out and play as much in it as she wants to, because we got her over the flu. And then next thing you know, she was out playing it next morning, 103 fever again. So, uh, but Hey, it's Dave, I really appreciate you jumping in on this. I mean, well, I've, you. I'll tell you my, uh, my heart for insurance companies, I believe in them. I believe that, you know, if you're smart, you'll have insurance. Um, I was blessed many years ago because uh, we got hit by a hurricane and not even six months prior to that, I took a loss of income policy that only cost me about $5,000. And anyway, it it paid out that we were to pay off everything we had, rebuild my building, you know, buy me a home here in Colorado. I mean, it was like, it was amazing. 
of the way the insurance really stood up and helped us. And my next door neighbor, Bill Nickham, he's still out there practicing today. He's probably 90 years old, but he was my next door neighbor. I went to school with his kids. And I tell you what, the key is to find the right broker, the right agent, the right guy that or gal that's going to really listen to what you got, understand what your needs are, understand what your whole structure, your business is, and then really think about more than just liability insurance. There's lots of other insurance that we have to help these guys with, but finding that right broker is the key. And there's some, I'll tell you, there's some, there's some bad brokers out there. And I've seen many in 32 years that have taken advantage of folks, but I've also seen folks that have been successful, not quite as successful as you, but uh, the reason they're successful is it's, it's, they're good people. They, they, they treat people right. They talk to you, they listen. And when something bad happens, don't freak out, trust in them. They'll help you get through it. They may tell you, we're going to have to move you here. We're going to have to change here for a little bit, but we can fix you. You just got to learn some things. And so, I mean, I've heard nothing but great things from Stephen about you, Dave. So I just really appreciate you being here. Thank you. Yes, he cool. has. Yes, he has. Well, that's cool that you uh, don't take your surroundings there for, for granted, Dave. You know, you know how easy it is for, for people to do that when they've lived somewhere for a long time. And oh, sure. I hope you sure. don't take it's for granted how clean your city is, too. That was very first thing I noticed. Uh, yeah, I, they do a good job of that. Yeah, great place. Um, so trucking, um, I know you, of course, from the specialized transportation world, oversized, overweight, and we do a lot of that uh, at, at Pro Miles. And for those listening, we'll get to some of those uh, juicy topics in a moment. But just from a broader perspective, Dave, starting out, uh, a couple bullet points. This uh, this issue in Congress of $750,000 minimum liability insurance, considering going up to $2 million dollars, and then most recently, I saw the new House Republican transportation chair replacing DeFazio. Graves, I think, is his name. He was somebody that led an effort recently to oppose that going up. Um, set the table for our audience. Where are we at right now with that federal issue? Well, like most things in Congress, it, 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 uh, it just seems to sit. Um, that, that has been on the table with one administration or another uh, for, you know, at, at least five years that I can think of. Uh, as a general rule, the Democratic administrations and Congress are for increasing the limit uh, to two million. And as a rough general rule, the, the Republicans, like the, the uh, uh, new transportation leader that you just uh, uh, referenced, are generally opposed to it. Um, and And so... I don't, you know, where is it going? I have no idea. Um, I certainly don't think it's going to happen anything before 2024. Um, I, I'm not convinced that this Congress that's been seated is going to do anything but just kind of chase each other around the the Capitol a little bit. Uh, I just, maybe it, maybe I'm being too negative and I don't mean to be too negative, but I, I've never been that impressed with what they are, are able to get in done in a, in a reasonable amount of time. So um, as far as kind of setting the table with it, I think there's kind of two schools of thought that I've observed. Um, one of them is, you know, certainly liability cases. So lawsuits, nuclear verdicts, things like that continue to skyrocket. Um, there, is, there is value in having a higher limit of liability to pay reasonable claims. Um, 
the downside to it is insurance companies by design and by necessity are going to have to charge for it. And because they have to charge higher premiums, motor carriers are going to pay higher premiums. And then you and I as consumers are going to pay, uh, you know, that's going to funnel down to us ultimately to where, you know, everything that we buy, whether it's gasoline or groceries or whatever, are all going to be more expensive. Um, the, the other issue that concerns me about it um, that I think we need to be sensitive to is capacity. There will be, when, when you think about that 90% of the motor carriers out there have less than six trucks. Mm-hmm. And you think about requiring them to go from a 750 limit to a $2 million limit. There's a lot of those that simply are not going to be able to afford the increased cost. In other words, when I say afford, they're not going to be able to get freight rates that justify paying those increased insurance costs. And so I think you would definitely see some negative impact to, to capacity. There's a school of thought amongst some of the larger fleets that that's a good thing because then they could swoop in and take up that business. So, you know, it's not a perfect issue to be really, um, it's what I mean by that is it's not a, it's not a cut and dry black and white who, you know, this person's right, this person's wrong. It's got some serious flow to it in my mind. It's to me, it's a very fluid issue because I get the concept and I get what it would do by having that $2 million limit. But I also understand the economic, uh, you know, ripple effect that would take place if we go down that path. Yeah. Tony, when I, um, I'm sorry, when I look at this issue, Tony, I kind of see it as the Walmart effect where the little owner operators, the small, less than five truck companies, the little John's hardware store, um, might not be in business much longer. These kind of rates. Yeah, and that's not going to be good because, like you said, 90% of the market has less than six trucks. So, I mean, uh, it's it's terrible. And it, it's, it's hard enough on all of us that have to pay our own insurance. But could you imagine having to pay insurance for $2 million worth of liability? Because guess what? Once that happens, I hate to say, there's a lot of bad people out there that get an accident with trucks just to get that liability. They hear and they get a big bang. They'll do it a few times in their life to to make that little bit of money okay. on the edge, and that's not fair. Really, yeah. Not. There's definitely there's definitely a fraud element amongst claims. I mean, depending on who you ask, you know, the the numbers probably twenty five to thirty percent of of claims overall have some degree really? of fraud to them. But depending on what source you want to go to, but just think of it like this for a second. If if just for argument's sake, let's say that a motor carrier is paying. $5,000 per truck for their insurance and they go to a $2 million limit. Now maybe that becomes $7,500 a truck yep. or maybe even $8,000 a truck. So just figure out how many miles they have to run in a year just to pay that increased cost of insurance. Mm-hmm. If they're getting a buck and a half a mile, $2 a mile, even $3 a mile, how much more do they have to run just to get just to break even on the cash flow for those increased premiums. So again, I'm not saying that that a two million dollar limit is not a good idea. I, I get why it would be a good idea. I'm just saying it's not a perfect idea because there is some economic impact that's going to come back to all of us. Mm-hmm. And Dave, I'm a little 
Um, I try to be fair, but I'm a little prejudiced to the trucking industry. And I'm reminded Tony and I did a podcast recently about um, the truck accident lawyers. And I use that phrase loosely. And the marketing that they're now doing specifically to alleged victims of oversized, overweight incidents and all the myriad of rules and regulations that we have. And um, again, I try to be fair, Dave, but is not some of this push to the two million uh, level uh, perhaps a uh, bit of greed on behalf of an industry oh, or two? Well, I don't think there's any qu- question. If your, your reference is to the plaintiff's bar and specifically to the, the plaintiff's bar that focuses in the personal injury cases, and, and there is absolutely no question that that, that that part of the bar it would love to see a $2 million limit. And, and generally speaking, they have, dem, you know, and th- this isn't a political statement, but generally speaking, they have quite a bit of support amongst the Democratic administrations, the Democratic administrations be- because of that, right? <laughs> and there's no question that they would love to see that because in their mind, that functions like a checkbook. Instead of a, if you just think about it practically, if a motor carrier has caused a fatality and they show up at a deposition or whatever, and they've got a million dollar limit and they're out, here's here's my limit and I'm done, which we see all day long. Mm-hmm. That number just doubled. If all of a sudden now we've got a two million dollar man, federal mandate, now they've just got double the money that they can use, you know, that they can automatically try and tap into. So. We see small motor carriers commonly say, here's my million dollar insurance limit. And oh, by the way, if you want anything else, I'm out. Feel free to take my trucks or whatever else you've got, because there is no value in that, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the value is in the insurance limit. So unequivocally, you are absolutely right that plain, the plaintiff's bar, particularly the personal injury you know, part of that plaintiff's bar, would love to see a $2 million limit for motor carriers. I want to get your quick take on speed limit, speed limiters. Um, I've, I've noticed with chagrin states like Michigan and maybe Indiana now, a new bill introduced in Indiana to raise truck speeds back up, I think, to normal, so to speak. And our friend Gary Buchanan, who we mentioned earlier, his senator, his son, the senator, is probably right in the middle of that. But Curious, what's your opinion and insurance industry's opinion on the whole topic of speed limits for trucks? Well, it, it, it's, you know, out of my purview to speak for the insurance industry as a whole, but I'll, I'll give you my uh, my perspective. Um, I, I'm not entirely comfortable with the idea of a 80,000 pound truck rolling down the highway at 80 miles an hour. Um, that, you know, it takes a long time for one of those trucks to stop at that rate of speed, given their, how heavy they are. And it does for a personal car. So, I, I mean, I'm not jumping up and down about the idea of them having an unlimited, you know, number that they can get to, whether it's 75 or 80 or whatever. I will tell you that most of the motor carriers I've spoken with that we deal with that are focused on safety, where safety is a priority for the C-suite, I will tell you that they lock in between 65 and 68 and that they feel like that's the sweet spot where they can make their deliveries on time yet be safe and also maximize fuel economy. They really focus in that 65 to 68. So my personal opinion, I tend to be 65 to 70, I think is, is, is a good spot. But then again, I don't drive a truck for a living. 
So it's a little bit, you know, me getting out of my lane to make a statement like that. But from a safety perspective and a risk management perspective, I have found that 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 range is 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 a pretty reasonable range when it comes to speed limitations. Tony, what do you both find, though, in relation to I referenced Michigan earlier, the disparity in, in a few states anyway, in terms of the speed limit between the trucking industry and the rest of the vehicle industry? Uh, Tony, do you notice it when you're out and about? Well, up here, it's a lot different, too. You got mountains. And so, yeah. you know, like I was telling you the other day, Stephen, it's it's pretty scary, you know, like you said, of how fast those trucks can go. And when you're coming out of that Eisenhower Tunnel, Johnson Tunnel, and you're going downhill, uh, it very quickly starts overheating those brakes if you're not cautious. And uh, I can imagine, you know, those guys getting faster and faster. You know, one of the things that I'm really curious about, uh, Dave, is, you know, weight the stopping distance, the speed, and now you've got electric trucks that are coming that are going to weigh more than the regular, you know, uh, tractor will. So at that point, you got more weight. Uh, Possibly you can't slow down as quick because you got more weight on you. And then insurance. I mean, I got got all these batteries on me. If I get in a wreck, is it going to cause a much bigger mess? Is it going to put toxins out? I mean, how bad is, you know, electric trucks when it comes to insurance? I mean, are they very expensive? Well, so right now that in, in the class eight category, we're not seeing, I mean, there's obviously been some of the larger fleets that have, that have introduced a few electric trucks into their fleet. Right. And, and, but, but I would not say that contrary to Mr. Musk and his, his uh, representations, I would not say that they've become you know rampant or widespread amongst the motor carrier, um, uh, you know, amongst motor carriers for a variety of reasons. Um, but I will tell you that the fleets that we work with that do have an electric truck right now, they are being priced exactly the same as a diesel powered uh, tractor for the simple reason that the liabilities haven't gone down mm-hmm. by any means. If anything, they've probably gone up. Um but right now the motor carriers or excuse me, the insurance companies, from what I can tell, their their actuaries are actually struggling with how do you price for an electric truck? Because, you know, do you use, you know, my you know, accidents per mile or because if you do, we don't have any of those yet. Right. <laughs> you know, we don't have the you know, it's not like in with that with the with the uh uh diesel fuel. I mean, we know what those tractors are, you know, we know you're gonna have a on average, an accident one every hundred thousand miles, or whatever the number is, and and we don't have that necessarily with electric trucks. So what I'm seeing right now, from a liability perspective, is there's there's more or less pricing those about the same as a gas powered or diesel powered uh, tractor. Where we are seeing a difference is in physical damage rates. Those are actually higher because there are more expensive parts that have to be replaced particularly the electric batteries, you know, you don't, you don't, you can't go to five places to get those. You can go to one place and get those and you run into supply and demand issues and things like that. So we are seeing significantly higher rates for physical damage when it comes to Mm -hmm. electric trucks. I can see that. Before we get to oversize issues, Dave, one more general topic uh, of interest. And um, that is, I've always felt that transportation trucking lagged behind most other industries in terms of technology for several years, but now beginning to rapidly catch up. 
electronic credentials, ELDs, ProMiles is knee deep in, in, in all of those. What's your general view from the insurance industry with trucking catching up now, so to speak, on the whole idea of electronic credentials and data and that type of thing? You seeing improvement? That's a great question. So I would tell you that, you know, when, when I first started doing trucks, you know, 25 years ago, you know, we didn't have any of the, you, you didn't even have an electronic uh, uh, ECM, what do they call that? The ECM, the electronic control module, mm-hmm. you know, they can pull off all the, everything that's going on in the truck, let alone the telematics, let alone the cameras and, you know, and all those kinds of things. I, I will tell you, in my personal opinion, I think they are they are worth their weight in gold because it is helping to resolve claims faster. And it is it is helping. I can't tell you the number of times we've not had to pay out on a claim because mm-hmm. we had some type of data that showed what the driver did or didn't do. On the other hand, when we have had scenarios where the driver was clearly at fault, that has created an avenue to get in and settle the claim for a mm-hmm. reasonable amount and a fair amount, you know, rather than a long drawn out litigation process. So all of that is great, but we've kind of gone to your point. We've kind of gone from a, a stream of data to a waterfall of data. It's kind of like the stream turned into Niagara Falls in some ways. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And and the challenge is that data is as only as good as the people that use it, because if you've got access to the data, but you're not using it to to modify behavior and to coach behavior or to service your tractors appropriately or things like that, then all of that data that you've got access to comes back to haunt you when there is a serious injury or a fatality mm-hmm. or something to that effect. So. The, the gospel that we preach is absolutely, we love the telematics. We think it's worth the investment, so on and so forth. It'll, it can be a great arrow when you're quiver at claims time, all of those things. But it's only an arrow in, in your quiver if you've actually used the data and you have an established track record of doing that. Right. And Tony, we believe products like your e-credentials product is going to be very well received, not only by the trucking industry, but their insurance Brokers, attorneys, Definitely. the government. I mean, the big, yeah, the big thing is, is now you get a guy out there that's driving and he's not permitted correctly. He gets in an accident. Well, number one, he's not following the regulations. Then they're going to go after him like crazy. So, I mean, that's I've right. watched. What day? No, I said you're right. That's exactly right. I remember back 30 something years ago how difficult it was on these guys just to try to make a buck and try to get by as an owner operator and pay the bills and come home and see mom, you know, maybe once a month, twice a month, you know, long enough just to be able to have, you know, maybe have a dinner or two and got to get back on the road. But the challenge with all these guys out there that, you know, wouldn't get permitted, not permit correctly by the time the insurance finds out it's because they're paying out a huge claim. And so I do know, and and Dave, I don't know how much you know about how this credential came about, but it was prior to COVID. And um, the federal government came out and mandated back in 2019, I think it was in January, that you now can do electronic permits for most of your permits. So there's no more paper you have to have. And so we started working on a product, working with IFTA uh, on how we can integrate it with IFTA. So if IFTA wanted to, you know, know, cancel somebody's, you know, permit for whatever reason, you know, 
the e-credential product would be able to know that from an enforcement side of view. So mm-hmm. we created this cool little QR code and, you know, an officer can stand out there and say, well, let me see your permits. The guy says, well, I can email it to you or I can electronic send it to you from my phone. And the guy goes, okay, let me just hold your phone up. He scans it, downloads every one of those permits. Now that officer knows at that point, you know, what permits you have, are you legal or you're not legal. But the insurance agent, I think it's going to be very important for them to have access to these permits. And so every time the permit renews, the permit gets, you know, canceled. The more that you can update that insurance company so that insurance company can then notify the insured, then it just slows the whole process or speeds the process way up to slow down any kind of litigation that you're going to get that, oh my gosh, this guy should not have took this hazmat load. He's not even permitted for that, you know? And so I believe that electronic credentials is the future because, you know, I've seen many times a driver call us up. Can you please send me my credentials again? Why? What happened? Well, we lost them. He said, I was sitting there, handed it to the officer. We started talking about the football game, completely forgot about my book, and I just left. And now I didn't get his card. I have no idea who he is. I, and he just pulled me over on the side of this back road on some rural route. I need my permit book. If I get pulled over again, I'm in a lot of trouble, you know? And so making it this way and making it where people from, you know, Penske's and riders that rent trucks can send your authorization, get you access to that permit. Once you return that truck in, you no longer have access, click a button, unauthorize it. At that point, they can't see those credentials, can't use those credentials no more. And that's the future. And then COVID hit. And oh my gosh, if we would have had that prior to COVID. So those officers going up to that window going, all right, hold your permits up. All right, next page, please. And they won't even let you roll your window down because they're scared of getting sick. Electronic permits is the wave of the future. And I think also it gives a way for the carrier to notify the driver of all the corrected permits. It gets the insurance agent. It gets to the shipper, the receiver, the broker, you know, third-party logistics group. They all need access to make sure that load is not going to get stopped all because it's not legal. Part of that credentials is your insurance. You got to have your proof of insurance with you or you're going to be slowed down a lot. You have to wait to get it faxed or sent to a truck stop. Go pick it up. Go back and get it. Now you're taking an Uber to the truck stop. Right. Paying exactly. for that. Take an Uber back to the scale just so that you can get your stuff to them because the scale's, you know, stuff is broke. Well, Dave, let's close out with my favorite topic. Uh, wonderful world of oversized, overweight movement, specialized transportation. And perhaps nobody in the insurance business has as much uh keen awareness of that than, than you. You've served on every SCNRA board of directors and committees that too many to uh, count. But as you reflect back over your career in specialized transportation, particularly from a technology standpoint, Dave, um, what do you see today that's good and perhaps what's left uh, as challenges for the OSOW world? Well, I, I think uh, Tony just hit on it, and that is the, the advances in technology for sure um, are, are the number one thing that's changed the most. Um, and then I would say number two, one of the issues that you've harped on the most that continues to, I think, be just a, for some reason, I, I'm not sure I understand, but it's a burr under every everybody's saddle blanket to get harmonization completed. I mean, those two mm-hmm. things have, 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 are, you know, paramount because you can have such different regulations from city to city, state to state, and um, what, you know, what equipment you can use versus which routes you can take and so on and so forth. So I think, you know, to the extent that those two can be done, you know, simultaneously, that's, that's probably at the forefront right now. 
Bridge hits, preventing and detecting. I don't know if I've shared with you recently, Dave, but there is some new emerging technology, both within our company and, and other companies, with both preventing bridge hits and then, unfortunately, <laughs> detecting them uh, after the fact. This whole world of, of bridge hits, it's costly, it's, it's damaging. Um, what do you hear on the ground from some of your specialized carriers and some of the preventative um, best practices they take? The LiDAR technology, definitely. Yeah. Um, th- those motor carriers that are able to invest in the technology to, to you know, while they're, while they're moving towards a bridge and to identify that, that, um, that obstruction, if you will, or the potential to hit that bridge, that is by far the number one uh, uh, technology that is, is, you know, come about that I think is, is going to help. I mean, candidly, and I don't know how we'll do this, but it needs to get pushed down to the pilot car level. Mm-hmm. I, to my knowledge, pilot car operators, which as we all know, that's a completely different subset, but that that group has not embraced the technologies nearly as much as the motor carriers have. And, and you know, why, just last week, I have a client that has, uh, has invested in LiDAR technology and they, they missed two bridges that were mismarked because of their LiDAR technology. They were able to, it picked it up. They were able to reroute around two different bridges. They were not wrong. They were on their route, but the bridges were mismarked. I'm curious, Dave, were they using the technology, your customer, your clients, um, during the actual running of the route or maybe for a route survey? Yeah, in this case, they were. Yep. Yep. In this case, they were. So they're running the route and And the the driver himself or the lead pilot employing LIDAR shooting ahead? The lead pilot. In this case, it it was an employed pilot. But yes, the lead pilot was the one that had the LIDAR on a, a pickup truck, I believe. Fantastic. Very interesting. Hey, Stephen, you know, I've even heard that uh, like Trimble, I had a conversation with these guys about a week ago, and they're really big into the cameras. You know, a lot of us for an accident, what's the driver doing while he's driving, all that. But do you know those cameras, they're starting to utilize those pieces to come. Now, they're not as accurate as the LiDAR, but they're definitely cost effective. And just having cameras out there to detect what's coming up as well to notify you and stop. That's the cool part about, I think, the new new trucks, you know, autonomy, all this stuff coming along. I mean, if we can make these things that smart and I mean, we got a lot on my iPhone, you know, it helps you adjust things. Well, if we could take that technology and put it on the, all the pilots, you know, that guy's a half a mile, mile ahead of you, you know, let him know enough time to let the truck know to take this off ramp, you know, take the next on ramp and miss that overpass. Cause if you don't, you're going to hit it by two inches, you know, one little bump and that's all it took. And now just like here in Colorado here several months ago, that guy was hauling that backhoe and ended up hitting underneath that bridge. The concrete collapsed and killed a mother and almost killed the child. I mean, it's, it's it, technology is there. We have to embrace it. If I had $82 million, I would put one of these at every one of the port of entries, just every one of them before that truck comes in. I want to scan it with the Hawk scan technology that we're yeah. working with and actually put a 3d model together to let you know what you have to let everybody in front of you know what's coming. I think technology is going to really help this. And that's pretty cool, Dave. I haven't seen too many fleets that's invested in putting a LIDAR on, on the car. They can't do it on the trucks. Trucks bounce around way too much. Yeah. Those things are too expensive. But yeah. on a car, I mean, this is what Google does. Here does TomTom, everybody else that drives and does mapping. They're doing it in the car. 
you know, but they are expensive. They're not cheap. Yep. And that's exactly right. And the, the problem with the tractors is they do, to your point, they, they do bounce around a lot. So that really messes, at least from what I'm told, it really messes with the LIDAR. I'm, I'm not an expert in LIDAR by any means, um, but I've been on enough calls to be dangerously informed is probably the best way to say it. And that's yeah. been my understanding is that we're just not to the point quite that that, that can be utilized on a tractor because of the, the vibration yeah. and associated, you know, so-called bouncing, as you said. Well, Dave, hopefully in our life, before we leave this lovely planet of ours, hopefully we'll get to see that day that those trucks and cars, even our cars, because I mean, you got to think about it. My daughter has a Tesla Model 3. I mean, that car has so many cameras on it, detecting all the things that are going on. Yeah. We just need to make it better. And and I thank people like Musk and other ones to to spend a bunch of money, make this reality because we need it for safety. And I'll tell you, it's going to help insurance. It's going to help bring those insurance rates down. If you've got good equipment, if you do what you're supposed to, if you've got the data, but I'll tell you what, you also get yourself in trouble. Like you said earlier, you get in a wreck and, and it's your fault, your driver's fault. It's going to be very obvious, very quick, you know, but at the same time, it's, it's, it's time for us to really think about me and you and us driving our kids and grandkids down the road. I mean, that's we, right. we need that protection. We that's really right. do. And the liability, it's been at that number for years, ever since I started back in 1989. Yep. So they really haven't changed that minimum liability that much. And, and and I think they do. Plus there's other insurance. You got cargo insurance. That's right. Right. That's you got whole, air and emission insurance. Issue. Yeah, that's exactly right. Just so many, so many and cargo. Oh my gosh. Oversize, overweight. You have a piece of equipment that took 12 months to order, took another 12 months to build, gets on a road, gets in an accident. You got two years worth of rental insurance now that you can't rent this piece of equipment. That's exactly How much money right. does that cost? That's Man, plus it's just bridge. all over the place. Yep, plus the bridge. You got it. I see cargo thefts are still on the rise, Dave. That's got to be turning a few more hairs gray in your industry. Without a question, yeah, particularly on the target commodities like uh, copper coils, steel coils that we see in the oversized, overweight, uh, uh, you know, arena. Any anything that is 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 got some degree of of value to it that can be easily. Um, you know, stolen and, and disposed of or sold or whatever. It, no question we're seeing that. That that continues to be a major problem. I saw a real heartstring article uh, just the other day on cargo theft where these kids, I used to be in 4-H, maybe you guys were too, and they were hauling their two prize hogs or cattle or whatever to a 4-H show, county fair, whatever, state fair, several miles away. They pull into a hotel and the next morning they get up to go out and feed their two prized 4-H show animals and animals gone, trucks gone, everything's gone. So no, <laughs> there's nothing sacred anymore out there. My goodness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, let me close out with a uh, truck routing, uh, Dave, real quick. Um, hitting you cold with this, but without naming names, a pet peeve of mine is the myriad of truck routing apps that are out there. And I use that word truck loosely. What do you hear, if anything, from your clients with regards to truck navigation uh, usage by their individual drivers? Do they occasionally run into problems where maybe the app doesn't quite uh, uh, hold up to the word truck-specific routes and vertical clearances and such? The, the short answer is yes and yes <laughs> uh, to all of that. The... the uh, 
what we're seeing in the oversized, overweight world is those that are are very safety conscious are still, what while they may use some form of routing software to, you know, prepare initial bids and so on and so forth, particularly with pieces that are quite large, they are definitely going to have somebody run the route. So that this idea of a, a you know real life person with real eyes running the route and making notations that you cannot pick up on routing software. Um, a low hanging wire might be a perfect example um, or wires that are, you know, going from, you know, wire clearance from one state to another, for example, what it, you know, what it might be in Wyoming, it isn't in Colorado, for example. Um, that, that part of the risk management process, or what I would actually refer to as risk avoidance process is still happening a lot. Um, and then, and then I do think that drivers are using um, route, you know, mapping software to get them where they need to go. The challenges with it, where we've seen, is it's been on railroad, um, where where it'll route them over a, a a rail line, and then then they can't clear it. Um, and we've seen, yeah. and you've seen several of those too, or where somebody just chooses to take a shortcut. But we've actually, I had two claims last year where they actually were diverted by route, um, you know, routing software and they got high centered on a rail tra- railroad track. Hmm. So hey, the- Dave, one of the things about that, that, that also gets me is we, you know, we've been ourselves pro miles been doing routing for trucks for 32 years. And it's always been so difficult because you could have a driver call you very upset saying, you told me I could take this route. And we pulled the map that we got from the DOT way back when. And sure enough, you can take that route. The data wasn't correct. And it was so difficult and cumbersome for state DOTs and jurisdictions to maintain the data, keep track of it, know where they put the asphalt. It was terrible. And and the fact of the matter is they're not. That's just the reality. I mean, we've had, we had, um, and I'll just pick on Texas. We had a bridge strike in Texas. And on that particular piece of highway, um, the the bridge was mismarked, and the uh, DOT, the uh, maintenance people, had just laid three inches of new asphalt, mm-hmm. but didn't tell yeah, anybody. It is, mm-hmm. and then and then you know- they grant the permit and they send them down the road, and all of a sudden we're 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 two inches too high and and taking out a bridge. So yep, whose fault yep. is that? It is very difficult. And I'll tell you, through the years, it's got better, a whole lot better than oh, it used to. Oh, without a question. Back, back when you used to, we used to take these maps, cut them in little 12-inch squares. We used to trace them and all that, and they would be missing half the roads that you would need. Yeah. And so you would have to go back and research that. And the only way we even got our head around it was to go after municipal code, literally pulling every city, every county, and every state's laws to determine what the law says. Mm-hmm. Then going out there and looking at the actual route, realizing that it ain't even right. And your lovely state, my lovely old state of Texas, you know, they got foreign to market roads out there. And on those roads, it says 55,000 pounds gross vehicle weight. And there's still those signs all over the place. They, they just don't bring them down. And a lot of those roads, they're qualified for the Surface Transportation Assistance Act of 1983, where they're getting funded. That's Why? Right. Because it's an 80,000 gross weight load. But we're going to leave those 55,000 pound weights out there. So it's very difficult and it's difficult for mapping companies that we drive the roads, we collect the data, we even take LIDAR and get road furniture and, oh, here's a sign. But when those signs aren't correct, that makes it even worse. And then 
there's states like here in Colorado that decided it was too uh, too expensive to manage additional signs. So if it's a certain height and above, they don't even post that bridge. Now, yeah. to me, if I'm hauling an oversized overdimensional load, the first thing I'm looking for is what's that sign say? I care less what my permit says, care less what my routing system says. I'm going by what that sign says, and it's hard. And that's the whole lead that lead car. It's their job to drive, to know, hey, I got a pole. Ding, I hit, but the sign said I wouldn't hit. You better stop them because you don't know what's going with traffic. He may be exactly. doing 70 miles an hour. You got to stop those guys. So it is very – it's – routing is not easy. And let me tell you, I've been doing it for 32 years. It is difficult. And then my partner decided in 2003 to start doing oversized overweight because honestly it became easier because we were able to get good data and routing the loads, be able to self issue these permits now at 70 to 90% where 10 years ago it was zero. Right. You know, you couldn't before. And even back then it was human mistakes, you know, Oh, I forgot this over here. Oh, I didn't write this down. And the big paper maps are out and they're trying to route and permit this guy. And all of a sudden the guy leaves early. Why? Because he has, (laughs) he's got delivery that needs to be at that refinery and refinery don't get lit back up on Monday. And that in that, that carrier is sitting there being told by the shipper, you're going to haul it with or without the damn permit. That's you got exactly to get there. Right. We need that equipment. And then it costs all of us. Yep. Man, it is. Insurance is the greatest thing in the world. I'm all for it. I believe it saved my butt many times. But I also tell you, you know, it's something you better get your head around because you screw up, you make mistakes, they're going to jack your rate up. Yep. And the best thing to do is just be legal. Do the best you can. Be a good person. You know, watch. Pay attention. You know, when you're driving down the road, you know, don't. Don't be TikToking it, you know, be driving, be really focused because that 80,000 pound bomb you're driving there, you know, is going to kill somebody and kill my kid, my, my yeah, grandkids, right. or somebody. And that's what we don't want. None of us should we be TikToking it, should we? <laughs> no, we should not be TikToking. Now, hey, Tony once we get home, TikTok-ing though, is. <laughs> well, once we get home, I can, I can do some TikTok. You know? it, it keeps so, me out of trouble. But there you uh, go. Not so as we, as we close not out here. As a former state permit official myself, and I don't know the particulars of of, of, of the case, but I got to stick up for my brothers and sisters. What I found over the years was all too often, if a permit office did occasionally misissue a permit because, you know, not knowing the height and all, all too often, Dave and Tony, it was because, again, of the lack of technology, I believe, in our industry. And that includes mm-hmm. some DOTs, the construction yeah, folks. I think that's true. Yeah, the construction folks would often send somebody out or supposed to send somebody out after a repaving job, measure it. They'd write that down all too often, Dave and Tony. Then they'd go back to the office and then they'd hopefully remember to send it where it needed to go. Then somebody from the permit office hopefully received that new vertical clearance. Then they had to data entry into into that. And so what we've been advocating Uh for over the years and we're seeing some states do it is when that measurement's taken out there uh, by the DOT construction folks, Bam, one data entry and it pre-populates everybody that needs to know it. Most importantly, mm-hmm. in Dave's case, the oversized overweight permit office. So had to stand up for my peeps yep. there a little bit. And you should <laughs> Point the finger they elsewhere. do a good job. So thank <laughs> they you. Do. For, Dwayne. For, they do an excellent job. We work with yeah. a lot of the state permit offices and, and the city permit offices. And I would say 95% of the time, it's a great experience. So I, I'm glad you stuck up for him because you should. <laughs> I'm going to blame it on the construction hey Dave. folks. <laughs> hey, Dave, one thing I want you to think about is 
If you look at the number of bridge hits that are out there, would you agree with me that bridge hits are normally uh, more common with non-oversized overdimensional loads? Just the regular box truck going down the road in Illinois and hitting a bridge. Yeah, that that's probably the only reason I hesitate to say yes on that is because I, I I don't know that I've read statistics that would support that. But anecdotally, I would tell you that I agree with that statement. Well, I've had conversations with some big fleets, and when we started looking at routing and, and their focus on oversize and everything, I mean, they come back and go, you know what, to be honest with you, those guys do a much better job of not hitting things. Yeah. It's those guys driving the regular van trucks that per, hit people. Per, particularly in the congested mm-hmm. uh, metropolitan areas, I think that is true. Yep, I think it is as well. Well, Dave Whitware, I want to close out by telling you again what a pleasure and honor it always is uh, to come into your company. Look forward to seeing you in in, uh, Orlando. uh, Yes, I'll be there. I look forward to it. And I want to close by asking you, what's 2023 have in store for Dave Whitware and his family when you're not working? Stop and smell the roses. What's on you your know, agenda? Our, our, our big thing this year is we're going to have a granddaughter, our very first oh, granddaughter. So we, we can't wonderful. wait. She's, she should be here this month. And as soon as she gets here, we'll be where she is. So uh, that that's our big event for 2023, and we're ecstatic about it. I already know she your plans be. for the rest of the year. Put the golf clubs away for a few months and enjoy that hey, precious little the, the only question is, sweetheart, what do you want? And I'll go get it. <laughs> You've already That's the only learned. question. Yep. So, Dave, we're lucky, Dave. Very lucky. Thank, Thank you, you so much for joining us. To it.